Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is it. The time has come. Saturday night's all right for fighting. Get in the ring and go the distance with Fight Night with Adam Catterall and Gareth A. Davies. You're better than that! On TalkSport. Welcome to another Fight Night on TalkSport with me, Gareth A. Davis, and of course, Adam Catterall, as always. Well, on this week's podcast, we were joined, first of all, by the victorious George Cambosos Jr. telling us all about his victory over Teofimo Lopez last year and of course how he hails his family anyway originally from Sparta in Greece. Here's what the Australian had to tell us. Yeah look I was cool calm collected but zoned in like a hawk you know throughout not only fight week and the fight but throughout this whole you know nine ten months you know after postponements after Lopez getting COVID after you know lawsuits and, and all the drama that we've Still going through to to this day. Six um, times. I was in. Yeah, six seven times. Obviously, my hand was getting sore from signing so many contracts. <laughs> um, but I, I stayed focused. I stayed focused. I was zoned in, and um, you know, I knew that whatever came my way. And again, in that preparation, two months out, at the baby of my, of my, my the birth of my son, yeah. and uh, the loss of my grandfather, which the world knows now. But mm. you know, I still trained that night, and that's what being so zoned in and chasing your dream and not letting anything break you, you know, it was, was the way I, I lived every day in that preparation and the way I still live. I'm still zoned in. I know there's more challenges to come, but you can see me walking to that ring, you know, with uh, five, 6,000 away supporters, you know, there and, and wanting my head on a platter. They want to see Lopez you know, knock me out, put me in unconscious, send me to hospital. That's what they want to see. But, um, you know, I'm a Spartan warrior. You know, the one of, of of the of the three hundred, and um, you know, I stayed focused. I went in there, stood on top of that 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 ring, and looked them all in the eye and said, "Okay, you're going to see what I do tonight." And you know, throughout the twelve rounds, the adversity, the the cut, knockdown as well, I stayed focused. I had a game plan, and um, you know, we won that fight. Where does that mental strength come from, George? Because as you said, there you went through a lot. Through just if we just concentrate on last year alone, the 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 multiple yeah. delays to the fight, obviously the the sad passing of your grandfather, the birth of your child, all those things are big things that that, that, that take the mindset away from the job in hand. Where does your mental strength come from there? I believe my my family, you know, my grandparents, you know, they got a they had to come all the way to Australia without speaking the language, you know, by themselves for a better life. So they had to be mentally tough just just to do that, but. Again, you know, my lineage is, is from the Spartans. That's where we hail. So, 
you know, if you look down the, the ancestors somewhere, King Leonidas himself has the bloodlines of, of myself as well. So um, that, that mentality, that, you know, hunger and, and focus and, and drive and that unbreakable, you know, vision, you know, is, is, you know, well and truly, you know, inside me. And every fight is the same, you know, there, there is no distractions and whatever does come my way, I stay focused. I've got all the belts now. I've got mm. this, this huge name in boxing. There's, there's plenty of money coming, but, um, you know, I remain the same. I, I, I uh, love to be in the gym. I love to be preparing and, and that's where I find peace. And I know ultimately it prepares me for, for war. Listen, you're, you're the man at 135. There's no doubt about that. And therefore, you now, as the emperor, become the kingmaker. So what do you want? Yes. Who do you want next? Uh, look, I've put it out there. I, I, I've said it. You know, obviously, Haney or Lomachenko. I want one of these guys. I'm not coming here for a tune-up fight. And the world probably very excited for one of them names. But again, the world's probably thinking, this guy's he's a madman. He goes and beats Lopez. He beats all these former champions on the road. You know, he should go back to Australia and have a have a you know, a nice defense, make make some extra money. But I'm jumping straight back in there with a big name. That's the kind of warrior I am. And um, look, we're in negotiations. Things take time. Mega fights take time. And like I said, I fought them both on the same night. It doesn't bother me. I'm a warrior. And, um, you know, we are here. We are waiting, you know, to see, you know, the, the, the right deal. And, is the one that, uh, is the, is the coming, one that you would prefer? to Australia. Is the one that you would prefer? Uh, either one. Fight them on the same night. It really doesn't bother me. You know, for me, uh, I'm a warrior and I want to test myself. And I will fight them both. Eventually, whoever yeah, we, yeah, we do go with, I will fight them both. I'll beat the, the first guy straight away and then, you know, I'll fight the, the other guy at the end of the year. So, um, you know, it really doesn't bother me. George, um, obviously you mentioned Sparta there and um, I, I do find it fascinating, the warrior lineage of fighters, tribal lineage, all those things. And obviously you mentioned... The, the, the great graphic novel that's been made into a very famous film, you know, about the Greco-Persian Wars in uh, 500 BC. I'll bore Adam with the history here, as I normally do. Um, but yes. the, do, um, have you looked into that Spartan past with with a goge or a goga, as it's called, that that young men used to go through? Uh, because you know the, the the Spartan warriors were considered at that, that time to be the very best in the world, the phalanx of Spartan fighters. Have you done any studying of it? And does that help you to draw on, and Adam mentioned your mental strength, does that help you to draw on that in your DNA at times? Yeah, of course. You know, that's that's my, my heritage. That's where, you know, my family comes from. So uh, just knowing the way they, they prepared and, and the elite, you know, warriors of the world they were, you know, that, that there gives me that, that mental edge and the way I have to prepare day in, day out, put my body through hell, you know, every single session to be ready for, for war. And, you know, like I said, leading into this fight and, and before I went to the, to, to the arena and I said it to my wife and exactly what a Spartan warrior would, would say going to, to war, I'm prepared to die tonight. That's, that's, that's honour for me. You know, dying on the battlefield is honour for a warrior. So, uh, you know, I was prepared to, to do whatever I had to do to, to win that fight. And, um, you know the, the the motivation I get from from the warriors and the and the Spartans is uh is huge and you know that's where the world is starting to to realise the kind of warriors the Spartans were and a lot of Greeks you know and and young kids and, and young fighters coming up they want to be the same so they're going to start to take the same approach. I love your war cry that you'll never retreat, you'll never surrender. How is the prospect genuinely, um, given the situation with COVID nineteen of getting a big stadium fight in Australia, 80,000 people. I'm sure 
that you have been received wonderfully back at home. Obviously, our own Spartans fighting in the ashes at the moment are not proving their warriors spirit <laughs> very much. Um, not enjoying the overnight getting up at 3 a.m. to watch it, 1 a.m. to watch it at the moment. It's painful, painful at night. Um, do, is there a genuine prospect? What's the situation like in Australia with you getting that fight done at some point in the next couple of months and you getting that massive homecoming fight where I'm sure you would draw 80,000 people. Yeah, look, no problem. Um, both Sydney and Melbourne are fighting over who's going to get the fight now. So, um, look, that's a process as well, but we were getting very close and um, it's going to be a mega event. You know, wherever I go here in Australia, people can't wait. They're, they're, they're so pumped up about the fight and, um, you know, it, it's going to be a huge event. It's the, the biggest uh, boxing event in Australian history. So um, it's very exciting. You know, the, the the biggest thing is, you know, who wants to come down to Australia? You know, they talk a big talk online, but, you know, when it comes down to, to the nuts and bolts and it comes down to actually having, having to get on that plane, like I've done, you know, countless times and going into the lines then, then uh, we really see who wants to step up because I'm starting to feel a little bit of excuses. And uh, obviously we did see Eddie Hearn yesterday put out something about uh, Saudi Arabia uh, mm. Dubai and wherever they want to take, possibly have a, you know, an offer. Well, I know, I know you love me, Eddie, but my first defence is in Australia. And um, remember, the emperor really doesn't need anyone. I'm doing the, the, the boxing world, you know, another big favour by fighting another big name and, and wanting to fight the best. But if these guys don't step up to the to the table, then you know we're going to fill out eighty thousand people fighting anybody. So. Um, you know, let's hope that, that things move nicely with, with that side of, of the boxing game. And uh, I've got a very good team around me. And um, from there, we will uh, you know, look to make a massive defence here in Australia. Because you've been a Rose Mahaney warrior for five years as well. You, you haven't fought in Australia for five work, years. That's worth pointing out to our listeners. Yeah. You've gone on the road to do this. I have. I've been on the road. I've had to earn it. You know, if you look at my last three fights, you know, Mickey Bay in Madison Square Garden in his hometown, Lee Selby in London in his, in his home country. Um, and obviously the undisputed champion in, in, in Teofimo Lopez in his backyard, you know, a pound for pound top guy, a guy in his prime, a guy that uh, was a 13 to one favorite. I should have never won that fight, but again, I keep proving them wrong. And, um, you know, the odds will probably come out for, for a fight against me and Haney or me and Lomachenko. And again, I'll be the underdog, but I love that. I, I, I thrive on being the underdog and, you know, that, that excites me and that motivates me. And I, I, I love proving the world wrong to continually prove the world wrong and just keep doing what I'm doing and chipping away. That's that's the ultimate warrior right there. George, just just finally, I'm glad that you just pointed out there, you, you referred to Tiafimo Lopez as the undisputed champion and I refer to you as the undisputed champion. Yeah. Um, but the, the WBC have kind of confused the matter, haven't they, with mm, yeah. uh, the franchise belt um, situation. What is, what is your thought process uh, towards it and does... Um, the franchise situation kind of leads you towards maybe fighting Devin Haney, who has this other belt that then would give you that official status of undisputed. Yeah, look, it's, it's a tricky one. You know, 50% of the world, you know, see me as undisputed. The other 50%, you know, see me as unified. I see myself as, you know, as the number one top guy. So, um, like I've said, whatever situation it is, I'll say undisputed. Sometimes in interview, I say unified. Um, I get confused myself sometimes, but all I know is, is when I look at home and uh, I look at my, my nice, beautiful glass case, I've got five world title belts and, you know, I'm sure you need to get uh, or take the ring magazine out, but four of them to be undisputed champions. So, mm. um, 
Well, for yeah, me, I don't know about you, George, the, the ring magazine belt, for me, that distinguishes who the number one is. If you've got one of them, because yeah, they don't give them out for fun. If you get one of them, that's you are what, the number one. It's a beautiful build, and I'll tell you, I got it a couple of days ago, and uh, just just taking out the casing and to see it the first time and see my name on there, uh, you know, it was a very exciting, exciting, uh, you know, present to see that the belt come to Australia and be down under. So, um, yeah, look, I don't get too hyped up about this whole uh, confusion. And like I said, I love to uh, to absolutely destroy Devin Haney, you know, I don't, I don't see him a, a, as a serious threat. Um, you know, I love that fight. Love the Lomachenko fight. And again, the ball's also in, in their court, in the promoter's court. You know, these guys have to come with with, with a big offer, as they say that they will. Um, let's see what the offer is. And then from there, we, we move forward. Because again, the motivation is, is not, you know, purely the money. But the motivation is setting up my family and, and uh, being given, you know, what I've earned. So, um, you know, we, we are waiting to see how, how serious these guys are and uh, how serious they, they want the fight. Because, like I said, um, I really, I can do what I want. I've got all the belts and, um, you know, I could fight anybody. But I want to fight the biggest and best names in the world of boxing. I want to keep being the best. And, um, you know, like I had said to Eddie Hearn, there is no tune-up fights. I'm coming for the, for the best. And if that's your boy, then uh, no problem. We'll take him out today if we have to. George, just just finally, do you have a time frame of when you want to be out doing this, uh, doing the fight? Um, I, I love to fight right now. Um, I'm training. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm always training. Like I said, when I went to the the Haney Jojo Diaz fight with with that nice little cut I had on my eye, and uh, I'd already healed up from the bruises, I said, Eddie, bring the checkbook out, and I'll fight tonight if if uh, someone pulls out. But um, look, we know big fights take time, and uh, you got to promote the fight properly. Even that it shouldn't be a problem here in Australia with. They're, they're undisputed champion fighting back home after yeah. five, six years. But, um, no, we're looking at May. May will be, be a fantastic time, and uh, you know, it's going to be huge here. We're going to have to get you guys over to, to see this uh, spectacle. The smashes, I'm going to call it. The smashes. Yeah, yeah. They, not they, the ashes, go. the smashes. There you go, man. <laughs> listen, you try and stop us getting out of there, man. It's going to be, yeah. it's going to be some not. Listen, thank you so much. And also, just, just, just from a boxing fan's point of view, mate, Thanks for the attitude that you've shown as yes. well. Maximizing the moment. Obviously, we don't want to see tune-up fights. We want to see the best against the best. And when we see a champion like yourself calling out other best guys, that's what we want to see more of. So well done, George. Thank you very much for that. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. You know, at the end of the day, and I've said it a few times that I don't care about the zero. You know, I care about giving the best fights to the world. And, uh, you know, a, a very similar uh, concept that my good friend Manny Pacquiao did fight the best guys you pick up a, a loss here and there big deal you come back you beat them again um but i know the way i prepare and uh, there, there will be no loss in my career I'm, I'm too focused i'm too hungry and let's see let's hopefully these these other guys step up to the plate because cambosis always steps up to the plate what a flash of light and inspiration George Cambosos is. Well, next up, Bob Aram joined us to give us the latest on the saga between Tyson Fury and Dillian White over purse bids for the WBC heavyweight title. Well, sometimes, you know, lawyers get carried away and uh, don't realize that they can be sued for defamation. You know, my record is really clear on that score, and uh, there's nothing more I can really add. Well, Bob, um, a very warm welcome to you, Bob, as always. But when I know you can't say too much, but when when you started your career, and you know, as a young, newly minted 
Harvard Law graduate. You worked in the Kennedy administration for our listeners. They may not know that. You're 90 years of age now. You've been in boxing five decades. And you promoted the likes of Muhammad Ali and Marvin Hagler and Floyd Mayweather Jr. and, and Asians like, like Manny Pacquiao, South Asians. You know, it, it, it must seem odd having developed the careers of so many fighters, having developed so many relationships, that at your age, as you go into your decade that takes you to a century on earth uh, as a living being, that you're accused of being a racist. It, it, it's extraordinary for me. Well, it's extraordinary for me too, but it is what it is. And, uh, no, I really believe that this is not uh, Terence's doing, uh, but he's got the wrong lawyer. Do you, do you feel hurt by it, though, Bob? Is it? I mean, it, you know, I've known you a long time, and and, and it, it seems ludicrous to me that that these accusations, allegations, are being made against you. Well, it was ludicrous to me, so they're allegations, and it didn't affect me that much. And what I loved is that uh, so many of uh, the people, which uh, foreman, uh, like. Uh, Muhammad Ali's daughter, and, uh, uh, you know, so, again, you know, I am at an age where this just uh, washes over me, and I don't really get upset about it. Mm. Um, Bob, moving on to um, different matters that are obviously connected to, uh, to, to yourself and, and what you can influence. Um, we were told last week by, by Frank Warren uh, that the first bid for Tyson Fury and Dillian White would be pushed back a week. That was due last Tuesday. It's now been pushed back, we believe, into this week. What is the latest with that situation, Bob? I, th I think, you know, unless an agreement is reached uh, with Dylan White, uh, it'll go ahead... Uh, sometime the coming week, uh, maybe not on Tuesday, maybe on Friday. Uh, but, uh, you know, there it is. Uh, 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 the WBC has decreed that the White uh, will get 20% uh, of the purse bid. And uh, 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 it, the purse bid goes ahead. Uh, we'll figure out what that 20% comes to. Do you anticipate a deal being done before the purse bid or are or or negotiations stalled at the moment? Well, I'm always optimistic that a purse bid, that a, a deal gets done before the purse bid. I don't think a purse bid does anybody any good. I think the, the parties should sit down. There's plenty of money involved and just work out a normal deal. Uh, Bob, without without airing the linen, the wet linen in public, um, one assumes that in the last, well, certainly in the last four days, that, that there has been some talks. As you mentioned there, there may be an extension again into next week, which sounds to me between the lines like there are talks going on. Um, are you... Are they saying, can you shift a little bit with the 80-20? Are you not going to shift... Well, that, you know, what is saying, Garrett? That's not fair to them to disclose any conversations yeah. that are going on. 
you know, uh, again, obviously there's talks to try to settle the matter so it goes ahead without perspiration. Just on um, other matters away from the uh, heavyweight division, uh, Bob, I uh, saw and I've spoken this week to Tiafimo Lopez. I know that he's uh, he's been uh, over your way. Um, what is the plan for Tiafimo and uh, where is uh, the current relationship with him? Because I know that he was over you uh, and hopefully uh, negotiating some type of uh, promotional deal to move his career forward. Well, we have a new promotional deal with him. Uh, we've got to, He's got to get himself physically back in shape, which he's doing. Uh, and he'll be moving to the junior welterweight division. Mm. And uh, he'll be a force there. He's a terrific fighter. Bob, can I, can I just go back to Tyson Fury and Dillian White for one moment, or, or even just to Tyson Fury? If things can't get over the line by, say, next Friday and, and you know, because Eddie Hearn, when we had a round table with him last week, he expressed the fact that it may not be possible to get... You've mentioned a date, March 26th, for Tyson Fury, and it looks like it'll, his next fight will be in the UK. Um, if things can't get over the line by next Friday, Hearn said there might be a problem because of this ongoing uh, lawsuit or legal case or arbitration that Dillian White has with the WBC. Are you looking at... Uh, several options for Fury and that you may just put him out on March 26th, not against Dillian White. And in that case... Yeah. Well, if Dillian White is not going to fight, you know, for whatever reason, uh, yeah, obviously we're not going to keep Tyson Fury, not going to make him pay the price of waiting. Fury wants to fight and wants to fight sooner rather than later. And we can look around, get a, a good, decent opponent for him to fight uh, if uh, if White isn't available. Who, who, who's in? Can you say who's in the frame for that? If that if that White fight doesn't go ahead, well, you got guys like uh, Hellenius uh, and Char. Uh, you know, and you just look at the rankings and pick a couple of fighters from the rankings who would make decent opponents. Bob, on the other fighters that, uh, that you look after, one of our fights that we've mentioned on TalkSport as uh, one that we would love to see in 2022 involves a couple of uh, uh, your guys, one of which being Shakur Stevenson uh, against Oscar Valdez. Is that a fight that you are looking to maybe make this year? Yeah, absolutely. I hope that fight will come together. So we'll be able to put it on in uh, April, and uh, we're holding an arena uh, in Las Vegas for that fight. Fantastic news. Um, and regarding uh, Shakur, um, he at some point will look to move towards that lightweight division. What is the plan for him? Uh, because there's a lot of excitement over this side of the pond on him, and him maybe being the next major superstar of uh, the game of boxing. Well, you know, again, one fight at a time. And uh, at that point, we'll talk with his management, James Prince, and we'll uh, explore all of the options. Uh, but I am not looking ahead, you know, if he fights Valdez, that's a tough fight, and he's got to concentrate on a Valdez fight. 
So, you know, let's see what happens. But, you know, there are a lot of guys out there like Lomachenko and Stevenson would be a huge fight. Bob, in spite of COVID last year, Adam and I kind of assessed the year in our last show of the year that ran out twice on TalkSport over Christmas and New Year. Um, you know, in, in obviously I, I, I bow to your great knowledge in boxing, but it, I, it's one of the most spectacular years that I can remember in spite of COVID. There were so many highlights. Um, how do you see the health of boxing at the moment? And, and also secondarily, obviously you'll know that boxing's been suspended here in the UK for January. What's the current state in terms of a second question of boxing in California and Nevada at the moment with, uh, with the COVID-19 situation? Well, it's, the truth is that in the United States, pretty much we're dealing with the COVID uh, like it's in the past. Mm. In, the, in the sense that if a fighter gets COVID, he can't fight, but everything goes on as if there's no COVID around. And it may very well be that with this Omicron uh, variant that we're reaching the end of the line on COVID and we'll have COVID around for many, many years, but in an endemic state, not a pandemic state, which by that I mean COVID will become like the flu is now mm -hmm. uh, and won't interrupt uh, anybody uh, in the course doing business. I mean, that's optimistic. And, you know, I'm not a doctor, but I sense uh, that people are less fearful mm. of COVID because the Omicron has been uh, a lot milder. Uh, it may be more contagious. Bob, earlier on in, in the program, we had George Cambosis uh, on the show and we were talking about um, his potential next fight. And obviously he mentioned uh, Vasil Lomachenko. How far into negotiations are you with that? And is that a fight that you would love to do? He wants to do it in Australia. Is that an option? Well, yeah. I mean, given, given the handling of the uh, COVID in Australia, uh, with visas and so forth, uh, we would be delighted to do it. ESPN would uh, be very, very up to doing the fight in Australia. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, we could do it on a Sunday morning, equivalent to prime time Saturday night in the United States. We've done it before with Pacquiao and uh, Jeff Horn. Uh, so let's see what happens uh, with the COVID. I know that we've talked with uh, uh, some people in Australia and we could get very big uh, uh, support uh, from uh, the government uh, and hopefully uh, we'll get it done. Bob, um, it's a little way off, but uh, we're very excited about Josh Taylor's next fight. Obviously, he gets a Scotland homecoming against Jack Catterall, the undefeated Lancastrian. Um, how excited are you about promoting this guy, Josh Taylor? He's a terrific fighter, Josh. 
Uh, I got to know him. He spent some time in the in Las Vegas. Uh, a lovely guy, and it's a pleasure promoting him. And he can be a major star, uh, even bigger than he is today. So we're looking forward to that. After that fight in Glasgow, if he is successful uh, and he comes through that, is there a plan to uh, bring him back to the States at some point after his fantastic performance against Ramirez? Yeah, we would certainly like to, and he would do very, very well uh, fighting um, uh, maybe Tiafimo Lopez, or if he wants to go up uh, uh, to welterweight, there are a lot of welterweights uh, champions that he could fight. So, you know, uh, again, uh, now, now that I've, you know, with my experience, don't look beyond the fight that you're doing. Mm -hmm. I mean, Catterall uh, may not be considered to be of the same class as Josh Taylor, but he's going in there to win the fight. Uh, Adam mentioned uh, Joe Smith Jr. at the beginning of our chat, Bob. Yeah. Um, this is a guy that surprised us again and again and again. He, you know, he's, he's a guy with a big life outside boxing as well. Um, any chance of bringing him over here to fight one of our... Obviously, you have this relationship with, with Sky now um, that's ongoing, a brilliant deal where they show all your events. Um, any chance of bringing him over here? Because we've got a raft of, of light heavyweights, Joshua Blatzi, um, Anthony Yard, Lyndon Arthur, all these guys. We would love to see him in against... Anthony Yard, how about bringing him over here for a fight? Well, that'd be fine. Terrific, you know. Uh, Joe is a New York kid, uh, so it's a five or six hour plane trip, not not a, mm -hmm. the end of the world. And uh, I would love uh, once again uh, to do fights uh, in London or Manchester. And, uh, uh, you know, the ring is square. It's the same ring. <laughs> so, it, so it doesn't matter if the fights are on one side of the pond or the other. Um, Bob, final one from me. We get asked all the time uh, from our audience, do we think that we will see an undisputed heavyweight championship fight at some point in 2022? What's your answer on that one? I, I, I certainly believe so. Uh, particularly if uh, Usyk is successful against Joshua in their rematch uh, and uh, Tyson Fury is successful uh, in uh, the March, the end of March fight that he's going to do, I think it'll be very easy to make uh, Usyk uh, fight against Tyson Fury. Uh, and uh, certainly by mid-year, we'll have a uh, unified heavyweight champion. Brilliant. How long? How long that's going to last? I mean, don't I, you know? But but again, there'll be a period of time where we'll see the solar eclipse of the sun. <laughs> Bob Arum, as always, on fine form there. Well, up next on the show, we were joined by Lee Wood, the WBA featherweight champion, who, of course, faces Michael Conlon in Nottingham very soon. Here's what he had to tell us. 
it's quite surreal to be honest it's quite surreal um just everything that i've been through kind of just flickered first like it just felt um it was a long time coming such a long time coming and to finally get there even though i've been through times when i thought i wasn't going to get there not because of my potential or because i wasn't good enough just because of everything that goes around it and mm. to finally get there when well, them questions unknown on the way like am i ever going to get my chance and um to finally get my chance and grab it and deliver um and everything just go, went right you know obviously connor ben um unfortunately got covid and i got whacked up to, to headline the first his own show and it was the day before the night hours before my birthday and everything just felt right and it felt like all them years of bad luck i finally um finally leveled herself out well i'm so glad that you brought the build up to it because obviously everybody can just concentrate on the night and, and the things in and around the night the narrative of that division just that year alone mate was crackers obviously you had stuff with josh bidding his belt and then obviously the situation with lara and everything that was kind of being intertwined there and as you've just rightfully said there mate that it's been bumpy for a good couple of years, it's been up, it's been down, it's been, is he getting an opportunity? You're not getting opportunity, injuries and various things like that. That takes an awful amount of mental strength, pal, to, to stay focused, to stay ready. And that's the key thing, isn't it? Especially in these times, to stay ready when that opportunity comes, you've got to be ready to take it. Absolutely. My old amateur coach used to say to me all the time, um, when things was getting hard at the gym or we were doing something hard, I used to have me running up hills with weights in my bag. And if any time I started slowing or um he's seen any any sign of like discomfort in my face it just say dead simple you don't want it you don't want it and then i'd be my, my gears would go up my gears would go up, my speed would go up you know my hunger would kick in and he used to say all the time you don't want it and then it, was, it would ask me go do you want it do you want it or not you don't want it then it just bring another gear out and then through my whole career like 10 years i've been broke for 10 years just pushing towards where i wanted to be and not getting nowhere not getting the chances um and all, all everything that went from my head was, it's just a challenge it's just testament you know to get to that level you have to go through these gates Um, that was the kind of my mindset on the build-up the last 10 years just getting to where i got to and um everything was just like a test and that's how i seen it i'm just going to get there eventually no matter what what gets thrown in me what i go through defeats injuries um anything management issues I'm just going to get there, and that's kind of what got me where I was today. It's funny, you know, because I was going to mention that, Lee, a very warm welcome to you tonight. Um, well, when you were fighting people like Janilson de Jesus Santos in Clifton Leisure Centre in Nottingham, <laughs> or Simas Velocinas in Bingham Leisure Centre, Ronaldo Moore at Harvey Haddon Sports Village, five years ago, six years ago, seven years ago, on, on you know, in four-rounders, six-rounders, um, you'll look back on all of that now and go, that was the, those were the nights that prepared me for this big one now, um, because it is a big one now. You you are the WBA regular champion now. You've got the Motor Point Arena. It's going to be sold out uh, in Nottingham. It's a home fight. It's it's a rough challenge, a tough challenge against uh, Michael Conlon. Um, how do you prepare mentally for this one? He, he's a very slick boxer. Um, how do you see him? You are the power guy. Are you going to try and dominate physically in this contest? I don't want to give too much away, but um, sometimes people look at my power, look at look at a fighter's attribute too closely, and they're missing everything else around it. You know, I didn't get here today just because of my power. I didn't get come this far just because of one asset. Mentally, I'm I'm extremely mentally strong. I refuse to 
be denied, I refuse to give up, I refuse to be broken. Um, you know, so my mental strength's way up there with my punch power. Um, I can stick to a game plan. I'm extremely disciplined in and out of the ring, how I live. Um, and, and with game plans, extremely disciplined. If I get a job to do, I'm told to do something, I'll do it. Um, my team's very, very um, skilled in what they do and, and how they prepare us and the game plans we get, as you've seen many times in the last few years, you know, with myself, with Lee McGregor, with Josh Taylor. So um, I don't want to give too much away about my game plan, but, you know, I've already had my scouting report. I know exactly what I've got to do to win. And I'm 100% confident in executing it perfectly. Just just on your team there, because obviously everybody knows that you, you're working with Ben and it's a fantastic uh, stable that you've got there. But there's, there's guys there in the background that are doing the due diligence on the video breakdowns of various things, not just on your opponents, but on yourself as well, mate. The, the place that you are working at right now, you could not be in a better place to grow and get better as a fighter. Absolutely not. And um, saying this before, uh, did an interview that I've been at other gyms that have produced world champions and I was at the Ingle gym for 10 years without dogging anyone out. I don't want to say, I, don't want to, I wouldn't never bad mouth them, you know, because everyone has a different way of doing things. There's no right or wrong way, but um, I've never really been coached. I've never really been shown what I've been shown with Ben. I've just been trained. So I've been trained to a very high level. So fitness-wise, conditioning, sparring. But I was never actually coached. I've never actually said, right, you're fighting this kind of style or this is what he likes to do. This is what you're bad at. This is what you're good at. This is what you need to do to get this off what you're good at. You need to be careful of this and this is how you approach that. The things you shouldn't be doing, the things you should be doing. Never had that. Um, it was kind of get me fit, super fit, super conditioned, get my sparring, off you go, basically, in a nutshell. Um, now it's like I know exactly what I've got to do round by round. Um, and I pretty much know how the fight's going to pan out. Same with my last if fight. Same with the recent fight. I, I ran into Ben Davison five years ago. He was 24 then. He's just, what was he? He was, he was 29, wasn't he, in, in November last year. And I was so impressed with him at the very outset. I ran into him, Billy Joe Saunders and Tyson Fury, the biggest Tyson Fury I've ever seen, 28 stone as he was, like a big weeble. They wobble, but they don't fall down. Um, <laughs> went out there and spent three uh, three days with him out in Marbella when Tyson was on the comeback trail. And I was immediately impressed by Ben. I hadn't known him before that. Um, he was up for every challenge and every question that I posed with him. He, as I say, he was a 24-year-old then. We know what he's done since. Um that's a great team. I'm, I mean, we've got Michael McKinson later on in the show. Um, he was saying he's down sparring at the moment. Josh Taylor is there. Um, Chris Congo's there. Lee McGregor's there. Um, you're all very young, very tensile fighters. Um, what, what you mentioned, Ben, there, um, he probes your mind about things, doesn't he? Yeah, that, and I always have fascinating conversations with Ben. And I suppose... He's made you, you know, I don't know if he's made you read Sun Tzu, The Art of War, or reads you yeah. passages from that and tries to push you in that way, Lee? Yeah, there's, um, he didn't really tell me to read it, but he uses a lot of quotes out of it. And so I heard these quotes, so I read, I read most of it myself. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's an insight. It's a, it's a massive eye-opener. Um, you can subtract bits and relate it to boxing, like, um, first to the battlefield would get an advantage it's like yeah. go out get a centre ring you know little things like that just a small example there's many many similar um, similarities you know and a lot of it is right and, and it works 
Right. Let's talk about multi point arena, Nottingham, mate. Come on. Let's be straight. <laughs> this is good. This is going to be like being in Benidorm, in it when that fight goes on. This is going to be. Um, it's going to be busy. It's going to be noisy. <laughs> That's an understatement, very, mate. The atmosphere very, is going to be unreal. very noisy. Michael Michael Conlon seems to think that um, he's going to come come over and the Irish are going to take over. That's not going to happen. That is not going to happen. He's going to bring a lot of Irish, and they're going to make a lot of noise. But they're going to get drowned out by the people of Nottingham. You know, they're not going to let anyone come over and take over our, our stadium, our city. It won't happen. Um, I've never ever experienced this before, and I've been on Cole Frotch bills. Don't forget. Yeah. And I've sold forty grand worth of tickets on the undercard, and it was packed out. Um, obviously, I was supposed to box on the beauty bill. Yeah. And Frampton's fight went on too long, and I was a flu, and I never got to fight. But obviously, I sold tickets to that fight. I've never sold tickets like this before. Um, I've asked for well, I sold 150 ringside off the bat um, for a match room, and then I went to went to the match room people that don't sort tickets. I said, "Look, I need 150 ringside. I might need more." Saying you can't have 100, you can have 100, you can't give you any more. So I've had to <laughs> cut people. I've had to cut people off. You know, I'm not allowed. I'm not allowed anymore. I'm trying to get more. Um, it's gone mad. I'm, and in the end, I've, I've done just over about a thousand off. I said, "You know what?" You have to go for a box office because it's just got too much for my all my mates and I want to handle. I don't we don't want the stress of the hassle. Yeah, so exactly. exactly. We sorted out everyone we know, our friends and people that have been to other fights and that, and friends of friends and friends of friends. And um, you know, I think the box office this week is gonna be big and um I'm expecting a really big turnout. It's gonna be it's gonna be jumping. Well, you know the arena, as you say, you know, you retained your Commonwealth featherweight title there against Ryan Doyle, I think it was with the tenth round knockout, didn't you? And um, it's 10,000 in that arena, and I reckon that you're probably going to have 90% of the support. What's the buzz like in Nottingham? Obviously, it's not till March the 12th, but what's the buzz like? It's unbelievable. Um, like I said, friends of friends that normally come, like 10 or 8 or 10 people, they're bringing 150 to 200 people. It's crazy. It's literally crazy. And, um, you know, I want to say thank you to them because... I'm going to give him a night to remember. I'm going to give him a massive night. And, um, you know, hopefully this this will plant a perfect um, runway for, for the city ground fight. You're going to knock him out? <laughs> that's not down to me. That's down to him. Is, is he going to prepare? Is he going to be the, the better version we've ever seen? Because I'm going to be the best me. Um, I know exactly what I've got to do. I'm hard to approach this fight. Whether it goes a distance isn't, isn't up to me because I'm coming to... I'm coming to take take his head off, but if he's not better than we've seen him, and I don't think he can be, then um, I don't think he will hit the final bell. You you just mentioned there and alluded to the football stadium fight, which I know is a massive dream of yours, mate. Now, I know what you're going to say here, so it's kind of a daft question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. How hard is it not to get ahead of yourself? Because for me as a fan, it's quite obvious that the winner of this between yourselves yeah. and, and Michael, is going in the direction of the winner of Josh Warrington and Kiko Martinez. How hard is it not to look too far into the future and just stay focused purely on what's coming up in the fight with Michael Conlon? Absolutely. You know, you can't um, you can't look ahead. I'm looking I'm looking directly at Michael Conlon. I'm preparing for him. I'm not thinking about... Like I've said, I do this every interview. Every time I fight, I say, look, I'm not thinking about the bell. I'm not thinking about the money. And I never do. I take it to one side. Um, I'm challenger. In my mind, I'm challenger. There's nothing on the line. I'm not, I've got nothing. I've done nothing. I'm coming. This is everything. I need to win this fight. Forget about getting paid. Forget about the belt. Forget about everyone else. Um, okay. I need to win this fight. 
And that's the same approach I've to every fight. I'm hungry to win the fight. I'm doing everything I can to win the fight. And I'm 100% confident I'm going to win this fight. Well, I can tell you, I spoke to Josh Warrington in the week for, for Fight Night Extra. And he said, obviously, he's not overlooking Kiko Martinez, who he's up against next. And obviously, he fought him for five years ago. Um, he wants that fight as well with you. Um, should you come through victorious? So it does a, he's it does a football stadium, it. doesn't it? It does a football stadium. Absolutely, it does. I think, um, I think we'll have to we'll have to come on to talk sport and, and flip a coin where it's going to go because I'm not I'm going to dig my heels in because I want that sit round fight. And I'm sure <laughs> yeah, we'll maybe we can argue. both get you in the studio and we flip a coin then. Go. He's going to argue that um, you know he's got a big support, which he has. But um, I want this this sit round fight is my my childhood dream. You know? <laughs> um, he's the perfect person for it. Well, what great work Ben Davison has done with Lee Wood and his other fighters in the stable training down in Harlow, Essex. Well, another Essex man joined us next and another trainer. It was Tony Sims, of course, coach to John Ryder, Ted Cheeseman, Connor Ben, Joe Cordina, Felix Cash. And he had to talk to us about all of them and what's going on in the Brentwood stable. I love the Alexander Palace. It's a great venue, a historic venue. And uh, as you say, um, you know, John fighting Danny Jacobs there, I believe it's going to be a sellout because the tickets have been going crazy since it was announced. Absolutely. Listen, Tony, you've got plenty of fighters that are obviously doing well, all various levels, and we'll speak about the majority of them as, as this conversation develops. But just on John, his development over the last three to four years has been pretty sensational. And now to get an opportunity to be fighting uh, against former world champion Danny Jacobs, especially here in the UK and in an arena like Alexandra Palace, what an opportunity to put himself back on the map and announce himself to that global DAZN audience. Yeah, and uh, as you say, like, his development since he moved up to super middleweight, he, you know, he's been unbelievable. I think he was struggling so long to make the middleweight uh, limit. And then uh, once he moved into the super middleweight division, he, you know, he's, um, you know, he's come into his own and, uh, you know, he's had some great wins in that division. And, uh, you know, he had the controversial loss against Callum Smith for the, mm-hmm. for the world title where, no one really fancied him to win that fight at all. In fact, people give him no chance. And, you know, most observers had him winning the fight, apart mm-hmm. from the judges on that night, really. Yeah, we spoke about that, Tony. A very good evening to you. We spoke about that the day after, didn't we? And um, it's not... I've known you many years, and it's it's unlike you to call the next day and get in contact about stuff like that. Are you still... I mean, I won't spoil the interview with John we got coming up, but are you still angered by the fact that he didn't get his kind of number one status that night and, and, and win the belts? Yeah, it always anger me, Gareth, because, um, you know, you saw the fight and, you know, most boxing people that are knowledgeable about boxing know that John Ryder won that fight that yeah. night. You know, and it cost him, you know... Everything he's dreamed about as a young fighter, growing up as a young kid to win a world title, it cost him everything, you know. And Callum Smith, you know, I'm I'm not putting Callum down. I like Callum, but he went on to earn like six million dollars against Canelo in his next fight, and that's what was taken away from John Ryder that you know that night. He's not just losing of the world title, but you know a massive payday and. Uh, 
you know, at the end of the day, that's why fighters fight, you know, to earn money for their families and, you know, them three officials, you know, they, they took it away from John that night and they was the only three, really, that thought that Callum Smith won that fight. You know, I don't believe Callum even, you know, thought he won it himself. And, you know, it was a dev- devastating um, decision for John Ryder. I think he's dealt with it mentally brilliantly and we'll hear that in, in, in the interview in the next quarter. But the... um. What a stable you now have, Tony. And obviously, you've moved a few times in the last few years. But but what a stable now you have with with John Ryder, Ted Cheeseman, Connor Ben, Felix Cash, Joe Cordina, all potentially, uh, maybe apart from Ted, um, uh, you know, who's who's of more concern. I want to ask you about him. Those those three young men, Connor Ben, Felix Cash, Joe Cordina, all moving towards world titles. Um, tell me about Ted, because Ted's had his problems, and I, I know you gave a brilliant interview to Boxing News the other day, um, and, and you, you kind of outlined that you don't, Ted is still a very young man. We've had him in the studio. He's got a young family. Is he on, is he on better footing, better ground now? Well, in his personal life, yeah, he's definitely on better ground. You know, everyone knows he, he had a bad gambling addiction, you know, and lost all his money. Uh, he come back from that to win the Brit- regain the British title in, in, in a fight of the year uh, fight and uh, against James Metcalf mm. and then lost it in a thrilling fight against uh, Troy Williamson. And, yeah. uh, you know, Ted's always going to be one of them fighters, you know, like... Uh, what would they call him like a British Arturo Gatti that gives a few (laughs) you know you're never going to take that out of him Um, since that fight he hasn't been in the gym since that fight so I don't really know what his future holds in boxing because business wise he's he's got a really good building business with people that work for him Mm. he's opened a wine bar in Chiswurst as well which is successful at the moment so yeah. I know that he's got a lot of outside um, outside businesses that do really well so if he does come back it wouldn't be it wouldn't be for, for, you know, for financial reasons it'll be because he wants to come back but to be to be honest I haven't spoken to him about whether he's going to fight again or not mm. listen Fair play to him for all the business interests outside of the boxing, and we recommend that to all, to all fighters. But if he does decide to fight again, I don't think he'll be short of people buying tickets because he's absolute box office. He's a must-see fighter, is, is Ted Cheeseman. Just on um, the other guys that obviously you're looking after, uh, Tony, and I mentioned a moment or two ago about the development of John Ryder, and you, and you kind of alluded to that being down to a weight class. Um, but there's other th- other factors to that as well. John's development, Felix's development, and in particular Connor's development. The way that he has developed over the last three years to to where he's at right now. The performance against Chris Algieri at the back end of last year was just poles apart from what we saw three years previous. That comes down to elite level coaching. What's the secret? There's, there's no secret, but hard work. It's hard work and it's experience as well because you know. As I said before, like taking a GB fighter is hard enough to develop them into uh, from a gro- very good amateur into like a professional world level contender, and uh, but to develop a novice into a world you know title contender, it takes a lot of work and a lot of patience as well. And uh, 
I've done it once before when I had a welterweight, Lee Purdy. I took him from a yeah. guy who had no no amateur experience whatsoever, and I took him to British title and world title level. You know, so I've done it before, but you know, doing it with Connor was obviously more under the spotlight. You know, because everybody watched him from like obviously because he's Nigel's son. Everybody watched him from his first fight, and you know, there, there was there was. The majority of people out there didn't believe that he could do anything in the sport, but through, as you say, hard work and you know uh, patience, and obviously his very hard work and wanting to be, you know, the best that he can be, mm. he developed into like a world-level contender now, you know, and every everyone's talking about him like the three wins that he had in 2021 as you know, put him into the top five in all the world governing bodies. Has, be honest, has he actually surprised you with not only the development, but how quickly he's done it in front of, in front of the world's eyes? That's, that's a good question, actually, because if I was looking on the outside, looking in... Yeah, it uh, was quick. It looks quick, but... <laughs> being on the inside and in the gym with, with him on a daily basis and I watch his work ethic and not just his work ethic in the gym, it's like everything that he does Like he, in his first say two, 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 two and a half years, he learned about nutrition he, you know, he delved really into the nutritional world and learned about it, he then went on to learn really delve into the S&C side of everything mm. that he does. He's one of them guys who um, he goes deep into everything he does. Every aspect around what he does around boxing, he goes deep into learning about it, you know, and studies it. He studies old fighters. Like every fighter that I tell him to study, he studies their style, the way the way their makeup is. He studies about them, you know, and he, we converse about that a lot. So. Everything he does, every aspect of being a, a professional fighter, he 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 studies, and you know, and that's why he is where he is at the moment. Tony, I've I've picked Virgil Ortiz and Conor Ben as my genuine global breakout stars in 2022, um, and I want to ask you genuinely. I know that Nigel and Conor feel they're ready for a world title. Um, but when I look at the WBC rankings, obviously we know that uh, Errol Spence and Terence Crawford are the kings of that division at the moment. Um, do you believe he's ready for any of those kind of six above in, in the WBC, the Virgil Ortiz, the Mikey Garcias, the Avenisians, the Keith Thurmans, Danny Garcia, Jaron Ennis? Um, because you know the old adage, you can become a world champion, but it's how you stay as a world champion. Is he really ready for world level right now? He will 100% be ready by the end of this year, 2022. I agree. To challenge for a world title. I mean, there's some decent opponents that he's, you know, he's got to get through to get there. But I do believe by the end of this year, I think Spence will probably move up a weight by then. Mm, yeah. I don't know what Crawford will do, whether he'll move up or stay where he is. But it's like me and Nigel have spoke about it on a personal level. And what what Nigel said to me as well is, listen, sooner or later you got you got to put him in there. And you know, it, 
you know, there's no, you can't just keep fighting like contenders. You've got to put him in there for the world title against the elite and see how he gets on. And if he gets beat, it's like how you come back from that defeat and learn from that and then come back on again. And that's the way Nigel looks at it because obviously that's happened to Nigel mm. and he bounced back and he knows that, you know, he knows how to come back from that. And, uh, you know, sometimes that, that that's in the heart of the fighter when they lose and they come back. And, you know, but I'm not saying Conor Ben will lose because I believe by the end of this year, he'll be ready to go. And whoever's world champion at that time, whoever's in his way, he will challenge them for the world title. The performance against Algeria was just something else. Fantastic performance at the back end of the year. Just just one final one from me on back on coaching, if I may, uh, just to finish off. Uh, Tony, what do, you, what do you feel like the level of coaching is like in the UK from British coaches right now? I think we, I think uh, we've got some great British coaches over here. I think we've because it was always about the American coaches. Like sometimes you see, you know, top British amateurs turn professional and then they go to the states. Mm. But you're not seeing so much of that now, and and that's for a reason, you know. And uh, we've got some. Uh, great British coaches over here and I think we've uh, you know we're on a level playing field now with it, with the USA with coaching and uh, you know uh, I believe that we've got some good young coaches coming through as well and uh, you know it's good to uh, contend against them all as well you know and uh, you know I always support any of the British coaches coming through and uh, you know it's an exciting time at the minute for boxing um, you know, I heard someone talking the other day on TalkSport, but it was Derek Chisora, funny enough, and he was saying, like, through Anthony Joshua, you know, boxing has become massive in the last few years, you know, through Eddie Earn promoting and Anthony Joshua, the, the boxing has become massive before that. You know, we, we it wasn't even selling, half selling out, you know, small stadiums. Now, now you know, you're talking about football grounds and mm. the O2s being booked all the time. As you say, the Ali Pally's back, mm. you know, and these are selling out these, these stadiums. So boxing's in a great and healthy place at the moment. And because of that, you've got the coaching, he's gone up another level. You've got plenty of world-level fighters from Britain now in all the rankings. You know, whereas if you go back years ago, you might have only seen one or two from Britain in all the world rankings. Now you've got three or four in every every each ten of the rankings, you know. So boxing's in a healthy place and, um, you know, I'm pleased to be a part of it. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Tony Sims, cool, calm, and collected as always. Well, I joined uh, a welterweight on a Zoom just before the show, Michael McKinson, who has a massive opportunity, but a big problem to solve when he faces Virgil Ortiz in America, coming up soon. Uh, yeah, it's been a crazy, crazy 12 months. If you think back to where I was 12 months ago, I was... It was before I got the call for Chris Congo fight. Mm. I was like, where am I going to get my shot on the big stage? And fast forward 12 months, not only that, not only getting signed to Matchroom, fighting on a pay-per-view card, fighting on a fight camp. Now I'm headlining in America. So as they say, trust the process. Trust the process. That's it. That's Um, it. MTK MTK have done a, a great job with me over the last couple of years and securing me good opportunities and, and slowly but surely, I've worked my way up in WBO rankings and earned, not only got given, I've earned the shot to, to fight Virgil Ortiz. So, yeah, it all smiles, my end. Well, um, you know, there's only Mikey Garcia and Virgil Ortiz ahead of you with, obviously, the champion Terence Crawford there at, uh, at the top of the table. Um, the fascinating thing about you, I was going to mention the Chris Congo fight, really, because... That was the moment that you definitely came to greater prominence with the British public, with the boxing world. Um, you went in there with the attitude as people are underrating me and I'm going to shock everyone, didn't you? Yeah, do you know, with me, especially by the time it's fight night after a camp, mentally I'm so solid um, and a lot of people could have crumbled under that Congo uh, fight. Everybody writing you off, all the boxing experts thinking he'd knock me out, whatever it may be. Fighting him as the B-side on a Dillian White undercard, who's his manager. People would have crumbled under that, but me, I'm different than the rest. And I think a lot of my strength comes mentally. Uh, I'm mentally bulletproof come fight night. And this fight would be no different. Yeah, I'm aware I've got a mountain to climb. I'm aware I'm fighting a, a guy that's tipped for stardom. Um, on a golden boy cut. I'm fighting golden boys, golden boy. Exactly. So, um, so, but I'm not, I'm a realist, but you know what? My mindset's so strong and, you know, I really do believe in my capabilities and, you know, I know I'm good. Every day in camp is I'm getting more and more confident I'm going to go there and, and, and shock everybody. When will you go there? Are you going 10 days in advance for time difference? 
Yeah, most probably, but um, there's no location yet. So once we know location, at the moment, my dad's in charge. Whatever he says goes. Um, it's not my choice. So whenever he wants me to go out there, I'll go out there. Um, but as soon as we get a location, <laughs> like we can start planning what we're going to do. Obviously, he's from Texas, but what would you... What would you like? Would you like a Vegas fight? Would you like a, a Los Angeles fight? Is there somewhere in your mind you'd love to go? No, for me, like I know it's like a massive occasion fighting in America and a lot of people dream of it. But it's a job at the end of the day, so I'm not going to enjoy if it's in, enjoy it any more or any less if it's in Vegas, or I'm not going to enjoy it any less if it's in somewhere no one fights. So um, for me, I know... It's a big occasion. I know the American people, it's going to be hostile. I know it's going to be hostile, but they're going to love me in the end. I know, I know they are. One of the things I've got to say about your career, obviously back to 2018, you fought Kevin McCauley, who I think went in with a 15 wins, 169 losses and 12 draws. Since then, what people haven't noticed is Sammy McNess had only lost once in 11. Ryan Kelly had lost once in 14. Um, uh, Evgeny Pavko had lost twice in 20. Luis Alberto Verón was unbeaten. Martin Harkin was unbeaten. Chris Congo was unbeaten. People should have noticed something about that growing record of you because you've got skills to pay the bills. My, yeah, that's you. So you've just reeled off my last seven, and obviously my last opponent was 19 and one. 19 and so one as well. I was going to mention Ronofsky as well. Yeah, 19 yeah, and one. So, so my last seven have a combined record of 104 wins and five losses. Yeah. My last four have a combined record of 51 wins and one loss. So like I have gone under the radar really because it it'll be tough to try and get a British fighter, the British welterweight that's got statistics like that. Um, so I have gone under the radar. Like I said, everything is earned not given. I've had to do it a lot harder than most others. But it's rewarded now. I've got the opportunity of a lifetime now, not just to change my life, but to change my future. So winning this can really do great things for me and my family. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm fully motivated, fully focused. This is my lottery ticket. This is my fight that's going to change my future. You mentioned your father, Michael. Obviously, he trains you. Tell us that your brother boxes as well, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, tell us about how you got into the sport. You're from Portsmouth, aren't you? How yeah. you got into the sport and was dad influential in that? Yeah, sure. So, obviously, my dad being a boxing trainer and manager, um, we were boxing when we were in nappies. Like we, like I, I knew my stance now to shape up from very young. Uh, didn't have the best amateur career. Me and my brother, we never won any national titles. So we didn't have a head start in the professional game. Like, I thought it'd be a lot easier than what it has been. I thought when I was young, I'm going to be a professional boxer. I'm going to be straight on TV. It just took a long time to get there. Funny, funny enough, actually, it's crazy how like, the world goes around. Uh, when I was aspiring uh Josh Taylor yesterday, my brother was sparring Chris Congo in the same gym. So like, it's mad, isn't it? I fought Chris, what, nine months ago, 10 months ago, and now my brother's sparring him and that. So, so yeah, we're a boxing family. So it's like, it's always 
competitive in our family, especially between me and Lucas. Um, growing up, I, I don't think I'd probably be where I am without that brotherly competitive um, thing. So, uh, so yeah, it's always good. Um, like our our childhood was a lot better, and we were guided a, a lot better way than most others. So I'm really thankful that to be from a boxing family. Um, so yeah, like it. Not only is this is this big for me, it's big for my family. We've took like I'm not somebody that's had to move teams and adapted, had to change trainers and adapted. This has been from birth. I'm in a great position. I've got a great opportunity. Um, and yeah, don't write me off. Don't write me off. Um, when you uh, came up with your nickname, was that you or your dad that came up with it? You're a Southpaw, you're tricky, you're called the problem. Yeah, so I was training with professionals. Obviously, I was with my amateur gyms and stuff, but I was still training with the professionals in the professional gym with my dad um, from probably 14 years old, sparring men, sparring like 14, 15 years old. And my dad used to be like, like I had to develop that awkward style. I was always slick. I yeah. had to develop that awkward style because I didn't want to get hit by men. Mm. Like I was thrown in with men from young and my dad used to say he's a problem, isn't he? And the pros used to say he's a problem. And that's this was before Adrian Broder. This, like, do you know what I mean? A lot of people would, like, would obviously guess that I, I got that nickname from Adrian Broder. But really, I was being called a problem before I knew who Adrian Broder was. March the 19th, we don't know the exact venue yet. Um, Virgil Ortiz has been a problem for 18 opponents so far. What can you bring that's different against him? You know, he has been a problem, but he's also shown vulnerabilities. Yes. And really, there's never been a time you look back at my fights and you think, oh, he, he didn't take that shot well, or he's looked vulnerable in that fight. That's like, you can go through 21 fights. It's never been like that with me. Okay, he's fought at a higher level than me. But he's been tested. In that last fight, he was tested. He came through it. He's never fought anyone unbeaten. He's never So he's never fought anyone with the hunger and the drive that I've got and the confidence that I'm bringing all the way from the UK. Never. So I'm the biggest test for Virgil Ortiz. And that's what it is. Everyone's going, oh, OK, it's a big fight for me. It's massive for me. But it's a massive test and I'm the banana skin for him. There's talk of him. There's talk of him fighting these top Southpaws and the, like, the world champions and stuff. But it's my job not to let him get there. Fascinating story there from Michael McKinson and his rise and elevation in boxing. We wish him well in his fight with Virgil Ortiz in the United States. A fantastic matchup that is going to be, of course. Well, finally on the show, one of Tony Sims' fighters, John Ryder, joined us to talk about his fight at Ali Pali with Danny Jacobs on February the 12th. I'm buzzing, really. I mean, obviously, I've been craving a big fight. Um, Tony's been banging the drum to, to Eddie and probably driving him mad, I think, uh, trying to get me a big fight. And he's really delivered. And not only has he delivered a, a massive name in Danny Jacobs to the UK, ma managed to get it at Alexandra Palace, which is in the heart of North London, where I'm from. Um, it's a real centre point for me. I'm, I'm in Islam. I've got family in Enfield, Barnet, Wolford, so... I mean, it's a, it's a right meeting point in the middle, so it's perfect. 
It's one of those venues that's got a great atmosphere. So the darts takes place there. There've been some great nights there and a lot of amateur bouts and amateur events there. Have you ever fought there before? Yeah, I mean, we boxed there, I think it was 10 years ago now. Um, Tony Bellew, Edison Miranda. Um, it was meant to be Darren Barker initially, but I think he, um, as Darren did, had a few injury problems and had to pull out. But I think Lee Purley boxed there as well that night. Uh, myself, uh, Brian Taylor, and uh, I think Martin Ward made his debut that night. From the Callum Smith fight, which many of us believed you won that night up in Liverpool, an incredible performance from you. It's been a kind of, it's been a lean couple of years in many ways, hasn't it? Because of COVID, um, you know, you, you fought in, in America since then, you fought in Austria um, and now you're back in the UK, but it's been it's been a weird period because you seem to be coming into your prime as a as a super middleweight, as a twelve stone fighter in your early thirties. And does it feel like some of that time's been taken away from you because of COVID? Yeah, massively. I mean, because we're all talking about Danny Jacobs is is getting on a bit. He's not the fighter he once was, but I mean, time's not stood still for me. It's um, I've still aged another two years, but this I still feel great. Um, I've learned more about my body in the lockdown than, I, than you realise, obviously, 2020, I, I massively overcooked it in the gym and, and it showed in the performance. So I've learned from that um, and I've learned to just take, take my foot off the gas in, in training and, and not always be balls to the wall, forced to ahead. It's, um, it's, it's a marathon, not a sprint, and we have these caps for a reason. Do you think that that maturity of kind of, not overtraining and, and training smart, maybe because we, you know, we always say train hard, fight easy. But what, what what kind of tunnel of knowledge did you go through that you are now training smarter? Is it because you're in your thirties now? Is it through conversations you've had with Tony Sims, or just learning more about your body during COVID, as you say? I think it's a bit of everything, really. I mean, I, I, I have great chats with Tony. I'm lucky enough to spend periods of time away with him, obviously in Miami and in, up in Liverpool. So you, you're away for weeks at a time and you can really pick into someone's brains and, and, and Tony's a wealth of knowledge and you never really stop learning with him, which is, is good. And he's, he's always trying to learn new things and trying new things, which is, is good for, for him and, and good for me and good for everyone. Is there anything specific you can tell us that you are doing? Is your diet changed? Are you running less? Are you running more? Are you sparring more? Are you sparring less? Well, I mean, I'm just not... I, I, I lived in the gym pretty much um, and that's okay you can do that but not five days a week that, that's when you will burn out and now we've, we've obviously totally seen that I've hit a brick wall in, in 2020 and you kind of there's no coming back from that really you mm. need a, an extended layoff probably and just to really bring yourself back listen 2021 was a better year we didn't overcook it too much when uh like when I was training for Morel, it was a nice welcome break to, to go to Dallas for a few days and switch off a bit and, and unwind and, and do, a, do a bit of training. I was lucky enough to body spar Tyson Fury and a few of the lads. So that, that, was, that was a good experience. But um, yeah, just, just not overcooking it. Do you know what I mean, yeah, I remember Jimmy Mack saying, you can't overtrain, you can't rest. And uh, it's true, but I, I do think overtraining is a, is a factor as well. Tell us about the body sparring with Tyson Fury. Did he did he clip you at all when he, when he came back at you or not? Nah, he was. Uh, I mean, he's he's a he's a true gent. He's um, he's, he's just his skills are unbelievable. Um, people don't realize how skillful he is up close at range. What he can do, 
all the tricks he's got up his sleeve. But it was just for me being a a, a fighter and a fight fan, like mostly, just just to get in the ring with a, the heavyweight champion is a is great. What do you think about Canelo? Uh, I know there's talk about him now facing Charlo as opposed to um, Alunga Makabu. But what do you think about him stepping up to cruiserweight? Is is that a fight that, that would have fascinated you if he had fought Alunga Makabu? It would have been interesting, yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's going to happen. I don't know if it was just a, a ploy to see what kind of reaction it got as maybe something in the future. But um, it's exciting because I think People are talking about one minute he's fighting Makabu, then the next thing, oh, well, maybe he could fight Usyk. Like maybe Usyk would come down and he could fight him. So, it's, I mean, people just, they, they run with the idea and it goes from one thing to another. A couple of other things. Um, you say you're not training as much. What do you do in your downtime? What, what, what's, what's, what's the gorillas um, feasting in the jungle like? What's, you know, what do you get up to? Well, I say I'm not training as much. I'm, I mean, obviously in camp we're we're, we're flat out. We're, we're doing what we, we normally do. But I'm just talking about in, in the periods that lingering period in between fights and the, the no man's land. We don't know what's coming next. Um, I've just I've been doing everything: the morning sessions, my runs in the week, uh, boxing sessions, sparring. And I think that's where I've learned just to to take a backward seat now and just 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 take over that a bit more. How do you fill your other time? Is what I mean as well, though. What 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 are what are your interests outside it? Uh, well, obviously, I've got two kids and a, and a partner, so um, that's quite time consuming. Um, it's, I mean, obviously, I, I love being a full time fighter, but I love being a dad as well and a partner. So it's nice to spend time with them, watch them grow. And if anything, COVID has enabled that more. Whereas, I mean, my daughter's seven now. Um, I was massively trying to make my way in this sport, so I missed out a lot of, of her growing up. But with, uh, with my, my son, who was, he's two now, so he, he was born in September of 2019. So, I mean, for the first lockdown, it was all, it was all banged up properly. So um, it was nice just to, to watch him grow and, and have that time with him. Both yeah, because you probably spent time with him, like many other children that were born in lockdown, that, that you might not ever have had um, ordinarily. You know? Yeah, see, yeah, I mean, if there's one thing that we could take from it, it's um, the family time was was unmeasurable. It was, it was great. Um, back to Jacobs. Um, obviously, you know, you were brilliant against Callum Smith. And as I mentioned earlier, I mean, I felt you nicked that on points, to be honest, on the night, and many others did. Um, as you've previously said, you know, it wasn't Callum's fault. He, he wasn't judging the contest. He just did what he wanted to do. Your ambition has always to become, has been to become a world champion. You're much more formidable at 12 stone. You found your weight, didn't you? And, and your style suits super middle, powerful, aggressive, physical, but also a great boxer. What's the route? Is this guy, Danny Jacobs, one of your most difficult challenges? And what's the route after him? Because obviously Canelo holds all of the belts now, doesn't he? So at some point, presumably, you're going to head in one of the directions for one of the belts. Yeah, well, like I said, hopefully this is a WBA final eliminator. I think it, I think it is. Um, then that put me in the number one spot for, for the Canelo fight. Um, obviously, he's going to have a lot of managers to take care of at, at Super Middleweight. I don't know if that's something he's going to go or if he's going to explore another avenue himself. So, I mean, in, in time, hopefully that the, the belts can fragment and we can all get our shots.
Could you be the guy that brings Canelo to fight in the UK? Well, I'm the guy that's bringing Danny Jacobs to the UK to fight. So, yeah, I mean, beat Danny Jacobs in the UK, it'd be nice to, uh, to welcome Canelo over here. I mean, Eddie Hearn's always said he'd love to bring Canelo to the UK for a fight. I mean, imagine fighting him somewhere like Wembley or, or, or Cardiff or one of the big football stadiums. Presumably, I don't know who you support, but um, could you could you get him at one of the big football stadiums? Well, for me, for me, it'd be the Emirates, but um, I'm, I'm sure Eddie can't give me home advantage twice to twice in a row, so um, he might say Wembley. But um, listen, it's, it's one of them fights. I mean, you don't expect someone like Canelo. I didn't expect Danny Jacobs to come to my backyard, but he has, and um, just you got to take it wherever it comes. He's obviously been through some very tough times in his life. You'll you'll be aware, of course, that he had cancer, very uh, a terrible form of cancer, and overcame that. Um, he's a very physical specimen, like yourself. Um, what do you have to do against him to get victory? Just, I have to be at my best. There's no um, there's no coming subpar performances. There's no there's no nicking to fight. You have to win and win well. And, I mean. Canelo and Golovkin couldn't stop him, couldn't get him out of there. I mean, I know Pirog did, but then he had his illness. So it's like, I don't think that's really a, a, valid, a valid defeat there, but knowing what he might have been going through at the time. So it's hard to say, but I think I've just got to stick to my guns, do what I do well, uh, fight at range, fight up close and just, just outwork him. Well, John Ryder, like Tony Sims, a very cool, calm and collected fella. That's all for Fight Night this week on our podcast. Thanks for joining myself and Adam Catterall. Don't forget to tell all your friends about it and join us live 10pm till 1am on Saturday Nights Live on TalkSport. I'm Gareth A. Davis. You've been listening to the Fight Night Podcast. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.